Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Well, friends, welcome. I have no plan. I have no notes. This is just going to be me kind of sharing some thoughts about uh, the Mike Winger series, teaching series on women in ministry. He's been working on this thing for a couple of years now. And last night he finally dropped the final episode. So I wanted to offer a quick comment on it. And Elaine's asking, you know, she hasn't watched the Mike Winger thing yet. I don't know if you don't like spoilers, maybe this is the stream for you. But if you're interested in my opinion, this is what it'll be. Um, I don't know. How do people feel about spoilers when it comes to to teachings? I I don't know. Um, So I'm going to offer some thoughts about Mike Winger's efforts. Now, I and there's one particular section of his final video that I want to play for you and comment on it uh, in a bit more detail just because of the some of the practical things that he's hitting on and some things related to my own story. So I wanted to to do that this morning while it was fresh in my mind. Um, and I don't like I said, I don't have any notes. I might delete this later if this turns out to be a train wreck. So if you're on the live, good for you. You'll make sure to see the train wreck live. But um, yeah, I don't have any notes. So I'm just kind of winging it. All right. Now, let's get into it. So I've talked before in previous podcasts about my journey as a theologian. I think um, you can go check out all of that stuff on my YouTube channel. You can go to Theology Mom and check that out. I've got a playlist there. I think it's called My Story, where I have all the videos collated related to things that have happened to me along my journey and and in life and um, in different slices of the story. So I've had a very complicated and interesting life. Um, And so I want to encourage you to go if you want more information about some things you're like, oh, I wish she had talked about this. Well, maybe I talked about it in one of these other videos. So this can't be everything. Uh, But when I was in seminary a very, very, very long time ago, um, during the first Bill Clinton presidency, okay, it's a long time ago, I was, to my knowledge, I'm pretty sure I was the only woman in my program, in in the theology program. Now, there were a couple of women in the philosophy program. Um, there were several women in the Christian ed program, which was sort of the more culturally accepted program to be in at Talbot at that time, if you were a woman. But I was in the the theology program. And I love theology. My professors were lovely. Um, they were all very wonderful. It was a, it was a it was a very uh, enjoyable season of my life. I was newly married and going to seminary and learning a lot. And it was, it was a very good season. There were a lot of 
good moments in my 20s of working on my grad degrees. So I have no complaints. This is not going to be a complaining video. Uh, but there were many times when I struggled with whether or not I should even be in seminary. Like, is it okay for a woman to take theology classes? Is it okay for a woman to be a theologian? These were my literal thoughts for several years in my 20s. And I never really had anybody who came along and offered a biblical answer to that. There were many people in my life who offered encouragement and um, cheered me on and all of that. But I was really looking for a biblical idea of, is it okay that I am doing this? And I had so much inner conflict about it. And Antonia says she's here for the train wreck. Yeah, me too. We'll see what this is. I do do hop in the comments because if there's things you want me to address, this is your big chance. I'm finally talking about this topic. Um, and I think that for me, the longing of my heart at that time was that somebody would come along and give me biblical answers to my questions. Can I really love theology as much as I do? Everything in me wanted to teach theology to others. Can I do that? Is a, being a woman theologian, is that even a thing? Like, I didn't have any textbooks written by women. I didn't have any female professors who were in the theology department. And this is no shade on any of my male theology professors, Dr. Robert Sosi, Dr. Henry Holloman, uh, Dr. Walt Russell, um, Dr. Clint Arnold, Dr. David Allen Black. I mean, these people were people that I admired. These men were were wonderful men who sewed into my life. But I really just didn't know. And all of them were so encouraging. But none of them gave me a biblical answer to this question. They gave me a lot of encouragement, but I really just wanted a biblical answer. And so I waded through thousands of pages of books. I probably am more well-read on the issue of women in ministry than maybe any other issue, except maybe now the related to justice and the critical social theories. But that's just in the last few years. Um, I, I have my, that shelf in my library is really long. Like I got a lot of books. And um, I think in the beginning, I started out as what we now call as a complementarian. I didn't really have any other framework. I didn't know any other thing. I just think I sort of picked up on complementarianism and the water that I swam in in my home church, but it was never explicitly taught. There was no instruction about it. It was just a sense of it that I saw men elders and men pastors, and that was it. In my second year of seminary, I did no, in my first year of seminary, I took a women in ministry class and it was co-taught by Dr. Mike Wilkins and Dr. Robert Sosi. And so this was probably 1993 is when I took this class. 
and we read the um biblical manhood and womanhood book the one with the blue cover uh is kind of an old classic now and that book had just come out and we read that book and then we read um uh two books on the egalitarian side of the conversation um her name is escaping me right now uh she's a very famous egalitarian Let's see if i can find it um I can't remember what her name is. I can see the cover. Uh, but she's a very famous egalitarian. And um, yeah, and then we read the Discovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. But Haley's on the stream. Maybe she can help me. Uh, so when I read those books, I thought I was going to get to the end of those two or three books. And I was going to have all my questions answered. You know, I, I think I think they threw in there like a three views book or a four views book on women administrators. I thought I was going to have the whole thing cracked. And no, <laughs> I came out of that class more confused than ever. And I was a little bitter about it. Um, Dr. Bob Sosi has, has gone on to be with the Lord. But, um, you know, uh, I wrote a very foolish paper at the end of that class about how angry I was that they didn't answer my questions and that I still felt more confused than ever about, you know, whether or not I could be a woman theologian and, and they just, they didn't tell me what to think. They didn't help me pick a side. They just presented both the sides. That wasn't helpful to me. I didn't want that. And so I continued to read and, and I kind of went down the path of egalitarianism for many years and many years I did it silently. I didn't, make videos about it or write blog posts about it. I didn't really talk publicly about it, but I definitely was on a trajectory and a path of going more down the path of egalitarianism. And I, um, one of my old professors, Dr. Ronald Pierce was an egalitarian. He is an egalitarian and, um, is, I always see him every year at ETS, um, in the egalitarian sessions. And he is, was at that time probably uh, one of the only egalitarians on faculty at Talbot. Now that's probably the the majority position. I don't know. But um, it, it was, whoa, there are 73 people watching this stream. I better say something intelligent. And uh, I think that for me, um, Having Dr. Pierce as somebody that I really respected, who was an egalitarian, it kind of opened me up to exploring that position more. And so I started reading those books. And, you know, I knew Gordon Fee was a prominent egalitarian. And um, I think that, you know, I uh, Craig Keener, I started discovering in the early 2000s and started reading his books and really kind of silently started going down the path of egalitarianism. Then I was probably pretty sympathetic to the egalitarian position for several years. And again, I never really said this publicly because it I was still researching and reading and not totally convinced and and 
I don't like taking a bunch of public issues on secondary or public stances on things that are more of a secondary nature because it's such an inflammatory topic and social media makes people crazy. And and I just, I, I'm not here to be an apologist for one side or the other. And so I just really didn't talk about it um, in public. It, I just didn't see a point because it was my own personal journey that I was just trying to still sort out. And probably around 2017, 2018, it was around the time when Monique came to live with us. And I, I saw how progressive she was. And she was an uh, unashamed, unapologetic, um, egalitarian, and, and fairly progressive in most of her. And it was around that time that I started also, as as we were engaging in conversation, I thought, you know, she's she's kind of going all the way to the end of the rope here with this. I don't know what I think about this, you know, and what do I think um, of about, you know, women senior pastors? Like, I, I just, I wasn't sure about that. And I had a lot of, you know, just questions. And and so again, you know, I wasn't taking firm public positions, but just asking a lot of internal questions, talking to the Lord, continuing to read and study and study scripture. What I also noticed around the same time was that a, a, an entity that I had followed for many years and received their mailings and um, even recommended from time to time on social media, some of their resources, the Christians for Biblical Equality. I started noticing that some of the wording that they were using, either I was tuned out to it because I didn't know what to listen for, or it was changing. But as I was engaging in conversations with Monique about critical race theory. And then that led me into conversations about feminism and critical feminist studies. I started noticing that some of this wording that Monique and I would talk about as part of the critical social theories, and keep in mind, I had never heard the term critical social theories or critical race theory until 2019. So this was still very, very early on. But I started noticing, wow, there's a lot of words that Monique uses that I see on the Christians for Biblical Equality social media account and on their podcasts and things like power dynamics and the oppressed and the marginalized. And I'm thinking, hmm, I don't know if this is a coincidence or am I just more tuned into it and I just never noticed it before? Is this new? Is this purposeful? Like it just raised a whole bunch of other questions for me. And the more that I began to study moving into 2019 and 2020, the more I began to interact with people about the critical social theories and the more I began to understand um, the feminist uh, 
theology and feminist gender theory and all of that, I started to realize that for me, I was no longer comfortable with this wording that I was seeing. And it started to feel like, and I, and this is still sort of a thing that I'm trying to work out. Okay. So again, I might take this video down later if people get crazy, because I have no interest in being an apologist defending these issues, but this is all in the realm of Krista's opinion. But I, I, I started feeling very uncomfortable with the fact that I felt like I had inadvertently ingested feminist theory without realizing that's what it was. And that the egalitarian, my journey, I'm only speaking for myself, as much as I wanted to be an egalitarian who was faithful to the Bible and believed in inerrancy and the authority of scripture and all of that, I had still Im ingested some feminist ideas and I really had to sort out why do I believe this and where did this idea come from? Did it really come from the Bible or did it come from someplace else? And then I had to 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 realize like okay there's an there's a degree to which I became open to these views because certain people that I respected were open to them. And I would read their materials and and I am going to get to the Mike Winger analysis because this is all leading somewhere. Is that I went into it really wanting egalitarianism to be true because that position I felt could provide a better home and a better answer to me as a woman who was interested in theology as a, as a female theologian and, and podcaster and Bible teacher. And I felt like there was more of a home there for me. And it didn't seem like there was a home for me in the complementarian camp. It, it felt like, and again, I realize this is all personal experience. This has nothing to do with my argument about what I believe or why I believe it. I'm simply telling you my feelings about it, okay? So don't write to me. Don't, don't, don't come with... You can miss me with your comments about how I let my feelings determine my point of view. That's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm not talking about what the Bible says. I'm talking to you about my feelings. Um, and so, see, Zach, this is exactly what I'm saying. I, I'm not talking about God's word for direction. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not the topic of the conversation right now. I'm simply talking about my feelings. Um, now, it, it just felt to me like there was more of a home in the egalitarian camp. And I think that looking back on it now, that's why I gravitated toward that. And it was 
And I still continue to struggle to understand what scripture had to say about many points. Because when you read the egalitarians and you and you you read respected people like Craig Keener, you think, well, these he's a smart guy. These are very good arguments. You know, all of the clobber passages related to women in ministry um, or against women in ministry have a counter, they have a counter argument. They have a, a counter interpretation. So if I just can stitch together enough of these counter interpretations, then, you know, I can become an egalitarian. This was sort of looking back on it now, this is sort of what I was doing. But when when critical race theory came onto my intellectual radar and I started to understand more about feminist theory, I started to realize how I had been subtly influenced by by this ideology. And I look back on some videos that I recorded at my former employer, maybe back in like 2018, 2019 or so. And there's some of the wording that I was using back then. I think, oh, that's that's what that was. That's where I got that idea. There was some some subtle ingesting of feminist ideas. Not not hardcore, but it, it was latent in some of the, a few of the videos that I did for them. And um I really started seeing, I think, uh, the concerns that I had about Monique and and just how unabashed of a egalitarian she was, but she really didn't have good reasons for it. And um, I felt like I could probably give her some better biblical reasons than the ones that she had, which were almost non-existent at that time. But I also started seeing the impact of, and this is going to be a controversial statement, but when churches get over-feminized, you know, it has an impact on the men. And it, it, I thought some of these impacts are detrimental. (laughs) And so this made me start asking other questions. And again, I recognize I'm all in the realm of my own experience, my own feelings, and my own impressions at that point. So I started to migrate back into complementarianism. And again, I did this kind of quietly. But as we did more and more shows and more and more podcasts, and I really started to rethink egalitarianism, and I'm I'm going to be very uh, blunt about it. I I am no longer persuaded by egalitarian arguments. I think most of their arguments are really not good, and um. I, as I've studied scripture more closely in the last three years, I became very much unpersuaded about egalitarianism. Now, I am not completely a complementarian either. I'm not sure what I am. I am not an egalitarian, but, um, there are some open questions that I still have. And I am not convinced that the complementarian framework as it's currently articulated by Wayne Grudem and John Piper and that crowd, I'm not sure that that's biblically accurate either. But I won't comment on that further because I'm still in my own process 
And I deserve my own right to privacy about that, of how I'm working that out. Um, and uh, Brandon, I agree with you. The question of women in ministry is is very complicated. Um, and it's one you're still making up your mind about. I, I've been in this process for 30 years, so I'm deeply sympathetic to the journey. Um, so I think that... Uh, I, as I've been watching Mike Winger's, this brings me to the Mike Winger thing. So I've been watching Mike Winger's videos and I've watched all the videos. I watched the six hour, what was the one on head coverings? Was that the six hour one? The one on head coverings I watched twice. <laughs> so um, yeah, I've, I've watched all the content. And I think that he has done, his journey kind of, is remarkably similar to mine in that he want he went into the project wanting egalitarianism to be true. Same, same, same. Me too. Uh, being a woman theologian would be a lot easier if I was an egalitarian. I could just show you my egalitarian card. Here's my permission that gives me, you know, to to be a woman theologian. Here it is, you know, and I don't have to have this conversation anymore. So, um, I, as I've watched Pastor Mike go through this journey, I, I want to make a couple of comments is that, first of all, I think he's been very fair. He's read many of the same books that I've read, and I feel like he has done a very fair job of presenting the data and chasing down the receipts. I have he's chased down some receipts on certain claims that egalitarians make and I didn't have the resources to to go chase that down but he did and there are just certain claims that they make about passages and what they mean and Pastor Mike left no stone unturned and that's why some of the videos are so long because there are a lot of claims that egalitarians make and he wanted egalitarianism to be true and so he, in a way, went about trying to prove it to be true. And when he started investigating the details and feeling like, wow, some of these receipts are very weak or they're non-existent in a couple of cases, that was kind of where I had come to as well, is that I don't think the arguments on the egalitarian side accomplish what they want to accomplish. This is an opinion. OK, and this is a long opinion that's taken me decades to get to. I like I've said, I'm probably more well read on this issue than almost any other issue in my life. I've read tens of thousands of pages. So please don't send me book recommendations. Don't don't ask me about particular scholars. I've read them all. And um, I just I I'm not persuaded. That's an opinion. It's an informed opinion. It's an opinion I've come to over many decades, but that's that's where I'm at. And um, I, I think that Pastor Mike has done an admirable job. I think he's done a very fair job. And he didn't come into it by saying, I'm going to do a series to prove complementarianism is right to get all the women to shut up. Like that wasn't his, his intention at all. He wanted to make a series 
because he he wanted egalitarianism to be true and he went about doing the research and he kind of came out with it um in pretty much the same place as i have which is interesting to me because um i think that it's a tough issue but here's sort of the cliff notes of his research and so spoiler alert if you don't like spoilers about um teaching series then turn this off but um basically the bottom line of where he's at is that uh the local church is to be run by elders and elders are to be men and you know there's some some freedom uh in certain ministries but by and large the the um the church is to be run by elders that's the style of leadership of the new testament it's a plurality of leadership and that those elders should be men that that's like the very like cliff notes version of of his big very very big picture conclusions and uh that male headship is a thing um he, he does think it's a thing and so you know i've this is kind of been the same conclusion that that i have come to and I think that this the struggle that I have been in for 30 years of my life is that I'm still coming back to the same question that I had in my 20s. Is it, you know, is it okay for me to be a woman theologian and love theology as much as I do and enjoy teaching the Bible as much as I do and and all of that and being a podcaster can i do that so he offered some comments last night in his videos the capstone of his series on just a a whole host of practical ministry questions so i want to play the section where he deals with women theologians i thought great i would i want to hear what he has to say i kind of knew what he was going to say and it was pretty much that but um there are 114 people watching this stream that's crazy um, so, all right, let's play this video from Pastor Mike Winger, and who's a man I have never met. Uh, I have in, invited him on my podcast a couple of times, but he's declined. Uh, I, I think he's just really, honestly, too busy. And my platform is, he's never said this. He's very polite. But I think my platform is just a little too small. Because usually I notice he goes on platforms where they have at least 100,000 subscribers. So, um he said a very nice compliment about me in episode one of the series. And that short clip is on my YouTube channel. So that was very nice that he even knew who I am. I, I was kind of blown away by that, um, that he even knew who I was. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's um, I, I really resonate in large measure with what he has come to. All right, let's play this section from Mike Winger and I'm going to probably end up stopping and starting it a little bit um, because I want to make some comments as we go along. Hi there. Let's ask a question uh, about women theologians though. Back to easy questions. Women theologians. This is not only easy to answer in that it's permissible, but I think it's actually a good thing, a wonderful thing. A woman who says, I want to be a theologian. is It's not something that you should feel weird about or embarrassed about. Um, 
I don't think there's any reason for that. First Timothy 2.11, same passage that forbids, right? I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. says, let a woman learn. Right now there's a way of doing the learning, but learning, right? Quietly with all submissiveness is simply affirming all, if I've gone all through all this in the video before, so this is not like a women can't make noise and, and they have to be like, like a, the dog with their tail tucked between their legs at all times. Like that's, that's not what's meant by quiet and submissive. But the idea of let a woman learn, that is in a command form in that text. Limiting a woman's theological education, learning is specifically critiqued in scripture in multiple places, actually. So it's not only here, but when, when Jesus was doing his ministry, he had women disciples who traveled with him and continually learned and edu were educated by him. This was very uncommon at the time. Rabbis didn't do this, you know? Now, this doesn't mean that they bunked with the men. Obviously, they were a very uh, gender-segregated culture in many, in, in some ways that are very positive, actually, and in some ways that are probably not, but in many ways that probably are good. We, we can remember them today. <laughs> I remember when, was it Mike Pence said he had a rule about not riding alone in a car with a woman? other than his wife or family or something like that. And people just lost their minds. Like this was the most oppressive, horrible thing ever. And it was just weird. Cause like I, I heard it and thought, oh, it seems like, like okay rule to me. <laughs> um, that it's not, it's not oppression. If you interpret that as oppression, you're, there's something you're misunderstanding about acknowledging differences between men and women and all those issues of temptation and affairs and things like that. Anyhow, let a woman learn, 1 Timothy 2.11, or women disciples of Jesus. Uh, we could even read the specific example, probably one of my favorites, which is Luke 10.38. I've gone over this, but I'll briefly mention it. Mary and Martha, right? Their whole experience back and forth and about how one of them was doing the housework and and not just housework, but doing the hosting of a, of a group of people and the other one was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, getting discipled and learning. And when you see the rabbinic context of this, it feels even more powerful. So I'll explain that briefly. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. This is Luke 10, 38. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. That phrase, sat at the Lord's feet, you know, N.T. Wright says it means she was officially being trained to be a rabbi. I think that's a, a broad overreach, but it does mean that she was officially officially sitting at a rabbi's feet to be discipled by him. She wasn't just located there at his feet, like physically sitting right at his feet. You don't have to you have to picture them in a room three inches from each other. No, no, she was in an official. I'm a learner of this rabbi position. She was a disciple. That's the rabbinic context. It's interesting, and listen to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. This she was what distracted with much serving. Because guess what's more important than being the best host in the world? I don't know, learning theology. <laughs> and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone, left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So this is so interesting because you've got this inner, this, uh, this, this, what do you, what would I call it? The interface of uh, a woman learning theology and being discipled versus a woman who's hosting and taking care of the sort of tasks that you would normally associate traditionally with, with womanhood. And what did Jesus say? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I'm not going to tell her to stop learning and stop sitting at my feet. I'm not going to limit the theological education of women. I think that that is a principle we can draw from the things we're learning in scripture here. Do not limit the theological education of women. There's a, a, a topic 
a theological study or something else. Women theologians, no brainer. This is a beautiful thing. Okay. All right. Let me comment on this real quick. So um, I think that uh, these are very similar conclusions that I came to as well. Um, I think that the the passages of Pastor Mike cites um, are helpful. And I would agree with him that women can learn theology. They ought to learn theology. And I've seen firsthand the consequences when women do not learn theology properly, when they do not have a robust um, education about their faith. And there is this kind of undercurrent in many evangelical churches that women almost even aren't capable of learning theology. It's very peculiar to me. Like, are, do we really want to, to limit women? Like, well, women can only read books about the Bible or read light and fluffy things. No, we need to be discipling our women. Women often are caretakers of our children, our grandchildren, and their aunts. They're the, the Sunday school teachers. They need to have a robust and rigorous understanding of the faith. And most of the people that take my classes online are women. And they literally tell me all the time, this is the first time I've ever learned any of these concepts. Why? What is what? Why are our churches so broken that we're not teaching hermeneutics and theology on the regular? Like that should be the normative thing. So yes, if we are going to um, follow in the example of Jesus, we want to be educating women in theology and um, I just, yeah, so that to me, I, I really appreciated Pastor Mike speaking into that and uh, giving giving that perspective. Okay, let's let's continue. He's got a few more comments here. What about a woman being in seminary classes? Again, I'll jump. I'll skip over to what could be a little bit of a harder question. Uh, the reason why people debate whether women should be in seminary classes is because some seminaries are specifically designed to train pastors. Like that's their whole agenda. We just want to train pastors. And I think that this is a, can be an open question. If I have a, a, a group, like say when I, I went to the school of uh, ministry at Calvary Costa Mesa, that is a group, a small group of men. We had like 20 guys in our class and the, they, they go in and they're literally just being trained for pastoral ministry. We have classes and discussions about what it's like to, to lead a church and things like that. To, to say only men can be part of that group is not to limit their theological education. Now, in a sense, you're like, hey, you can't be part of our theology class that we're doing here, the apologetics class we have in this group. But the cohort is meant to teach and train up pastors only. I think that's fair. But if you have a broader seminary where you're like, hey, only 12% of our, our students even move into full-time ministry or become pastors, then you got to really ask yourself if the limit like that makes any sense. You seem to be allowing lots of people that aren't pursuing pastoral ministry and you know they won't and you're not and you don't care that they won't and you let them in your program i don't know why you would forbid women in that case my my two cents on that others can can work through that and, and think about it on their own uh, you could even just say certain classes maybe maybe the seminary broadly embraces men and women coming but there's certain classes like dude this is literally just pastor training there's no reason to bring women in there except that we are sort of complicitly encouraging stepping into roles that we think are not biblical Okay, let me comment on that 
really quick because I have some personal experience in this area. So I think that what he's saying here as, as a way to think about the problem or the issue, I don't want to say it's a problem, but the issue of women taking theology classes in seminary and enrolling in seminary. And this was the, the longing of my heart 30 years ago. Like, could somebody please provide a biblical answer to me to this question? Because the seminary was more than willing to take my money no matter what classes I signed up for. And so I never was on the Master of Divinity track. I was never in the track to become a pastor. I was always in the academic track of the Master of Arts program, which typically after you have a Master of Arts, you go on for a PhD, which is a more academic track that you're going to maybe teach um, teach in that particular subject. Whereas a Master of Divinity track, typically if you go on to a terminal degree on that, you get a a THM or a doctor of ministry. So I was never in the in the um, Master of Divinity track. And so I was never pursuing ordination. I was never um, looking to get a church job. I just wanted to teach adults about the Bible. And I kind of knew that very early on in my seminary career. I think it would be super helpful if a seminary could take a position on these things, you know, like it, 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 most seminaries have a policy. There's a few exceptions, but most seminaries have a policy of like, if you got the money, you could take a class. And so if you want to take the class on how to marry, bury, and baptize people, go ahead. Uh, doesn't matter what, what ministry or what track in the seminary you're in. And, um, I think that uh, this is this is an important question. There's a church near us that we attend occasionally, and they have a pretty big um, training program at their church of teaching theology and how to interpret the Bible and stuff like that. But you can only go through that training program if you're a man. And the reason that they do that, from what I understand, is they're trying to raise leaders within the church and that can fill a so they have a big pool of people to choose from for eldership and so this is sort of their elder training program if you will so they're training up future elders in this way so that eldership doesn't always fall on the same four or five people and so they have this training program so that they're building over time they're investing in men to build a group of, of men that they can pull from for elder leadership. I think it's an interesting plan. Uh, I think that's an, that's an interesting idea. But it does make me wonder if there could be any room in that plan, because it's a sizable church. I mean, it's five or 600 people. If there could be room in that plan for also educating women in some of the theology and hermeneutics, because some of them are teaching children or in the women's group and other venues. I'm sure they have women that go out on visitation for visitors and all, all kind of stuff. So are we, do we really want to say that the women are so dependent on the men for every ounce of doctrinal discernment that um, I, I don't think that's healthy. I'm not even sure. I don't think it's biblical either, but so these are some things that I think it's important for us 
to think through, like, is there a, a way of making it clear, like, hey, this is a class that you can take if you're a man because we hold a position of male eldership. And so we're investing in the men in this area and we're having this class on how to marry, bury, and baptize people. Okay, I get that. That, that makes sense to me. But could we allow women to take the class on theology proper or soteriology or ecclesiology? Like, could that be a thing too? And I, I think that this is a this is an important question. And it was confusing for me as a young seminary student because I could just, if I had the money, I could take any class I wanted. There was no conversation about whether or not it was appropriate. Um, I think some clarity at times would have would have been helpful uh, for me. And so I think, um, Julie, I'm going to address your comment here. I spent most of my life feeling like a second-class citizen in my churches because there are awesome classes and speakers that bring deep theology to men, while the women's group typically are surface level and more emotional and social. And I don't think, Julie, that you are alone in that sentiment. Um, but I also think churches could do more to build that culture for women um, and that bring to bring more women along. Julie goes on to say, I longed for quality teaching, but did not receive it until I met my husband who went through seminary. And that's why I'm so grateful for all of my friends and partners in ministry, like Women in Apologetics and Elisa Childers and Natasha Crane, because more women now are getting into the conversation about theology and apologetics, those women who have been longing for more, but now they're wanting that connection in their local churches. So I think that's an area where complementarian churches need to do more to create a home for those women. Now, here's a, here's a thought. Do you ever think that women gravitate into egalitarian churches and ideology because they feel like there isn't a home for them in the complementarian stream. Like if if we could just stop fighting about who's right and, and compl a complementarian, I'm not even gonna use that word, but a church that's run by a group of men who are elders, okay? Could, could we just stop having so much energy into defending our position and just starting to put some of that energy into building a space for the women who are already in your local church of how you will cultivate a, 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 a culture that values education for women and has opportunities for them to learn the theology as well, like maybe then some of our women wouldn't get siphoned off into feminist ideology because they feel like that's the only place that they can feel welcomed. Like if complementarian churches or elder run churches are doing a lot to provide a space for the women to learn and to grow in, in significant and meaningful ways in the faith and not just providing fluff and fellowship, which there's nothing wrong with fellowship. I'm not saying that, but but to, to have this more robust um, learning of our faith, well, maybe not so many people would gravitate into these other 
problematic positions. I, I think I think that is um, I, I think that's a real issue that I would like to see more local churches address. And um, I'm going to look at Alicia's comment here. We need to encourage women to advocate for themselves and start these conversations with their local pastors about providing these opportunities. If they refuse, get the education themselves through online classes, podcasts. Nobody is forcing women uh, to be in the women's groups. Just simple choose not to go to the women's group or start their own class. Uh, boy, I don't know. I agree and I disagree with you on that. I wish we were sitting over coffee together. We could ash it out. I, I think that in my experience, there's some of this that is a posture and there's some of this that's a philosophy. Uh, let me see if I can explain what I mean. Um, I have found that if I go to, you know, a male leader and I'm, I'm like really demanding and, um, you know, wanting to bring something to their attention that I see as a deficiency. Being a pastor is a hard job. And I come from a family of pastors and it is, it is a hard job. And so there is, there is something to be said about when you go to a pastor, not just sounding like you're just complaining about a deficiency. I'm a big believer in before I go talk to my pastor, I want to give thought to how can I be part of the solution? And so, for example, in our previous church, I didn't feel like the young people were getting enough training in apologetics. But rather than go complain to the youth pastor, I went to the youth pastor and said, hey, would it be okay with you if I were to start a group, a small group for young people who are interested in learning about the deeper things in the faith and I'll lead it. All you have to do, all I'm asking you to do is promote it. And when I did that, he was excited to promote it. He didn't have time to be doing that kind of a ministry because he was just trying to keep his head above water with his existing pastoral duties. And so for me to come along and be part of the solution, I have found that to be a much better strategy in getting something shifted or started and and to offer up my um to be a servant in that way and i always recommend that to to and and many of the gals that i've discipled over the years in, encouraging them to be faithful in the little things little opportunities that come along be very faithful and diligent in those things and then seeing what the Lord opens up for you. I went to my previous church for 16 years before they ever let me do anything there. And um, it took that long, I guess, for the men in leadership to, to be able to trust me. And that's okay. Um, so I'm, I'm a little hesitant about being forceful or telling women to opt out. I'm more of an advocate of trying to be... Um, transformational like um yeast leavening the dough over time and there's nothing wrong with getting yourself equipped through reading and podcasts and all of that i'm, I'm for that but 
I want to encourage people to be plugged into a local church and to be a meaningful part of it and to also be very patient. The life of a church has many seasons. And um, so be aware, be aware of that. So yeah, Megan, I want to respond to your comment here, but this gonna turn out this is turning out to be very long. This is much longer. So I still want to play a little bit more from White Mike Winger. But um I stay home and read theology, apologetics, and other books all day. Um, wow. You sound like you have a very blessed life. My knowledge has advanced by hus by husbands because has advanced my husband's. I'm not sure what that means. Because he is the main provider, I see. He works 40 plus hours a week and he still leads me well, loves me, and supports me. And it's a very important issue. I mean, even though I am the, the professional, quote unquote, theologian in the family, um, that's not to say that my husband doesn't have a vital role in my life in discipling me. I would be a complete fool if I didn't acknowledge the vital role that my husband has played in my spiritual growth for the last 32 years. I mean, he has his own very quiet way of doing it. You know, he's not the kind of guy that's going to stand up in front of 500 people and give a talk with all their opinions on a certain topic. That's this fool. That's what I do. But he has his own very quiet um, way of discipling myself, our children, um, Monique to some degree. He's played a role in her life in that way. And, um, you know, he has shaped my thoughts and opinions about things over the years. And he just quietly um, reads the Bible through the Bible year after year. And he has done so much to impact and shape how I think about people and scripture and so many things. And so don't think for a minute that the fact that I have 400 videos on YouTube, which is, you know, really just a lot of opinions, uh, it, and, and I have a bunch of degrees after my name, that doesn't mean that I don't need my husband or that I don't, I don't need his input. I do. It's vitally important to me, and I love what he has brought to my life. And so, yeah, uh, that's a, also a very important component to all of that. All right. Oh, Elisa's on the stream. What are people doing to me? All right. Um, Elisa says... Someone who teaches, as someone who teaches a lot at women's groups around the country, I found that many women are disinterested, more robust theological decisions. I'm curious if you think worship, music, culture plays a role in this. I don't know. You'd be more positioned to to think about that than me, Elisa. I, I, I guess for me, I see it a little differently. <laughs> Sorry, but... Um, from where we are now, from where we were 30 years ago, in terms of apologetics and culture, I feel like we're in a renaissance of, of female interest. I feel like this is the highest 
I've ever seen. Um, the mere fact that you can buy books now written by women theologians and that there are women who are making meaningful contributions to public issues related to public theology, I feel like is miraculous. When I first started out 30 years ago, there were there were virtually no examples to point to. I've told this story before on the channel uh, about the time I met Gretchen Passantino. And she was a Southern California apologist. Uh, she's passed away now, but she was really the first woman that I ever met. And I don't believe she had any advanced degrees. I think she had a bachelor's degree. But she was a homeschool mom like back in the 80s. And she's like a pioneer. I remember her, she and her husband, Bob, they were Lutherans. And um, they did some work with Dr. Walter Martin back in the day um, at the Christian Research Institute. And when I met Gretchen Passantino, probably in around 1993, um, I, that gave me hope. It gave me a picture of somebody who was a mom, but really knew a lot about theology. And even though she wasn't a trained theologian, I could immediately connect the dots in my mind of how important theology was in the education of her children. And I said, that's the kind of mom I want to be. I want to be an educated mom who can answer my kids' questions and teach them theology. So the fact that you can get 2,000 people to show up at an Elisa Childers and Natasha Crane and Frank Turret conference and that a large percentage of those people are women, I think is a miracle. Like we have come light years. So if you think there's apathy now, you should have seen it 30 years ago. I mean, I, I personally feel very upbeat and positive about how much progress we've made in, in this area. My goodness, this is a lot of comments. Okay. Um, now, I want to play a little bit more of the, the Mike Winger thing and um, make a few more comments. And so I, I can understand limits there, and it's, they seem quite reasonable. But you don't want to limit the theological education of women in, in any way that you, you can avoid. So what about a, a woman theologian who, again, this is a bit of a more tough question, but I'm going to ask it right now because I'm on topic with women theologians. A woman theologian who writes a book about theology that men read. Okay. Now there's an intersection of a woman teaching theology to men. Perhaps this is an easy question. It seems to me easy. Okay. It doesn't seem easy to a lot of other people. And I, I, I'm not laughing at that. I, I'm actually trying to think, how do I make sure I, I answer your dilemmas in, in my response here? But I think that you can use Priscilla as, as at least part of an example of this question. It was an unofficial teaching moment, but it was also simply a non-elder teaching moment. Uh, Priscilla in Acts 18, 26, her name is listed first. She definitely teaches Apollos here, Acts 18.26. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila heard him, uh, heard Apollos, he was teaching things, he was incomplete. They So they took him aside and explained they, the way of God more accurately. Probably the word Priscilla is, is pr before Aquila here to, because either she's more well-known to the writer, more well-known to the audience, or possibly because she was perhaps more prominent 
in the discussion that she actually did more of the talking than Aquila. But at any rate, you can't discount her as just sort of standing to the side and going, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. What else are you going to say? Uh-huh. If she was doing, she was actively teaching. Explain to him the way of God more accurately. And this is lifted up as a positive example, I think, in scripture. She shows that women can correct demands theology outside the function of elder. That, that's what I think the principle we learn from Priscilla is. Remember how I said examples help us to not extend application too far and make the mistake the Pharisees did, where they forbid so many things on the Sabbath that what was meant to be a blessing became a burden on God's people. I think the gender differences are meant to be a blessing. We extend them too far. They become a burden. We remove them entirely and it becomes a plague in another way. It damages families, it damages marriage and, and hurts the culture. And we see this happening right now. Do I even have to make a case? Authors are not like elders. That's my main point. I would suggest the only thing an author, a female author who's writing theology needs to consider is don't write your book in a way that mimics the elder role in a person's life. Now there's, there's lots of nuanced ways you can do that, but, but there's, there's got to be, there's basically, you could write a book where you're simply taking authority over the, over the, over the, uh, the reader and you're claiming authority over their lives. And, and there's a way in which you can, you can teach that doesn't do that. You're oh, buddy. I have so many thoughts about this section. Okay. I'm going to try to remember them all. Um, all right. First of all, <laughs> what to do, the dilemma of what to do when you're a woman and you write content or you put out content that you know will likely be viewed or read by men. Okay, this is a very real thing that happened to me in my life. A number of years ago, my husband and I were trying to join a local church after we had moved to a different area. So we visited the, this local church for several months, and then we started going through the membership process. And the pastor came to our house a couple of times to meet with us, which was very nice. And he also happened to be a former student of mine that I had had a number of years ago back when I was teaching at Biola and I taught um, freshman theology courses at Biola in my late 20s. It's a whole other story for another day. And um, so I thought it was lovely that I had a former student who was going to be my pastor and he was doing such a nice job of it. He was a very bright young man and I remember him fondly as a, as a very good student when he was in my class. And um, so he comes to our house this one time and he says, you know, um, we're excited to have you coming to our church and we're excited that, you know, you want to join the church. I just have one issue. And so he says that um, when I join the church, he's going to have to immediately put me under church discipline. And I'm thinking, well, why? And so I thought, I thought it was going to be because of where I worked and my employer, my former employer had, um, you know, was an old earth creationist. And I knew that many people in the, this church leaned toward young earth creationism. And so I thought, well, maybe he's going to put me under church discipline because of um, my employer and that he believes the earth is old. I don't know. I, I could, I didn't know what was going to happen. And he says, no, no, it's nothing like that. He says, I'm an old earth creationist. It's not like that. And I said, okay. I said, well, what is it? He says, well, because you write blog posts that are read by men. And I thought, oh, it, it never occurred to me before that that was even a problem. Occasionally, the ministry would have me write blog posts on various theological topics. I don't know. It was like once a quarter or something. And 
I thought, wow, he, he's going to put me under church discipline for that. And my husband um, kind of stopped the conversation and intervened on my behalf. And we didn't end up moving forward with that church situation. But this is a very real problem. And I have had um, people say to me before, you know, like, um, well, they have a problem because I, I put out content that can be accessed by men and viewed by men. And my position has always been, look, I'm not um, a women's only. I, I don't feel like called to that. But I do think that men are more drawn to listening to men, male teachers. I think that's fine. We, we need all the godly men we can get. A regular prayer that we have in our family as part of our family devotions is that God would raise up more godly men for leadership. I am all for it. And I don't know that men flourish well um, or some men flourish well under the leadership of women. And so I get it. There's there's a lot of men. I'm not their cup of tea. I'm cool with that. According to my analytics on social media, about 75 to 80% of my followers and people who interact with my content are women. And there are some men. Brandon Rhodes is here on the stream. Um, and I think that, you know, Brandon's been a great friend of the ministry and he regularly engages in me and Monique's content. And some some men are okay with it. But I think that this is a very real question. And kind of where I had landed even before I heard Pastor Mike talk about this was the example of Priscilla and Aquila. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just putting out the content. My philosophy is um, whoever the Lord brings, that's who he brings. That, that's just how it's going to be. I don't try to pay so much attention to the numbers and the analytics because it's, it's just way too discouraging. Um, and, uh, Jeremy's asking a very technical question and no, I will not take that on because that's not the purpose of this stream. And Mike Winger has covered that extensively. You can go check out his videos. Um, and, um, I think that there is a difficulty that I have with, just being quite so narrow. And yet I will freely admit there is, we live in a, in an age of technology when I am, I, YouTube has been a great equalizer for me. Um, you know, that I could reach more people than I ever could traveling and speaking, especially when my kids were growing up and I could stay home and I could, be with them and still create content. And for many, many, many years, I had like 300 followers. Um, and the idea that I have 8,000 followers on social media is like freaky and amazing and far beyond all I ever thought. I just kind of started this as a thing for friends and family. That That's really all this was for a long time. So... You know, I I have asked the question, you know, like, what do I do with with men who might watch my content? And I think that Mike's, Pastor Mike's advice is really solid, is like, don't pretend like you're an elder. 
don't pretend like you're not. And so that's why it says like right on my website, at least I'm pretty sure that's still there. Hopefully it hasn't been deleted, but I'm not an elder. I'm not a bishop. I'm, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm, I'm not trying to be any of those things. I'm just a woman on a tiny corner of the internet trying to help people become more biblically literate. And I just trust the Lord to bring the people who he wants to come. But I am not your pastor. I am not anything. I should not be anything to you other than maybe almost like something akin to an imaginary friend. Like I I know that that people make I, I it scares me when people come up to me at events and say like they made a major life decision based on something that I said. You should never make a major life decision based on what I said. You should talk to the Lord. You should talk to your husband. You should talk to your elders. Um, but you should never make a major life decision based on what somebody on the internet says. Like really, I mean, I'm just I, I I'm not trying to put myself down. I just think that you. We have to be very circumspect about these things. And um, and Callie's asking, what does it look like to try to be an elder? I, I'm going to give you a really tangible example of this, Callie. It just happened to me the last weekend. I was speaking at a women's conference in Alabama. And I was talking about, I did a talk on um, helping the women um, have some basic Bible study tools and practices and then I did another talk on starting family devotions, which is a stream that is on my YouTube channel if you want to see that. And um, during the Q&A time, many of the questions were of the nature of, well, how do I get my husband interested in doing this with me? Or how do I, um, you know, get my teenager to read their Bible and all this sort of stuff? It would have been so easy for me to just give my wisdom and my advice. But I was very intentional during the Q&A time to direct these women back to their husbands and to the elders in the church. I am not in that church. I'm not a leader in that church. I'm, I, I'm not trying to be a leader. I'm not trying to insert myself into the leadership. I said, you know, that would be a great question to take up with your pastor that would be a great conversation to talk to the women's minister about and see what she can do since she's on staff to talk to the other staff people of cultivating a culture that engages in more Bible reading and Bible literacy. Um, talk to your husband about you know these matters, but don't control and manipulate him. Don't nag him. Allow him to be in his own process. I am not there to give that sort of counsel and instruction. And so I think that um, I, when, when Monique and I go into a church, we are very, very careful to work with the elder team. We do not um, do Sunday morning platform sermons and messages. If a church wants to have us on a Sunday morning, we have a certain format for doing that. It's it's kind of more of like an open Q&A, like a Q&A time between us and the pastor. But we really strongly prefer that we not do it at all. Like give us a Sunday night or give us a Saturday night or a Friday night or something. But we don't want to be perceived as trying to usurp the leadership that God has appointed 
to that local congregation. And if the leadership team, if the elder team is not in unity and harmony about bringing us in, we don't, we don't want to come in, even if it's for a women's conference. We want to support the leadership in that church. And um, so, um, but there are also people who look at YouTube teachers as having a level of authority. And well, I heard so-and-so say this and and then it kind of beating up their pastor with that. Like if somebody ever did that with my content, it would make me so sad. Um, so those are some thoughts about that. And, um, you know, just trying to really, as a speaker, I try to be very intentional about directing people or redirecting people back to their pastor or their husband. When people write into the ministry, it is not uncommon for me to say, to ask a woman who's writing in to ask her, what does your husband say about this? Well, I haven't talked to him. Well, you need to go have that conversation before you talk to me. So that's kind of how I do that. Um, do that. Oh, Melissa, you're very kind. You feel like I'm your friend. <laughs> I I could be your imaginary friend, but uh, you know, the Lord is your best friend. And if the Lord is working through me and something that I'm saying, that's wonderful. May God get all the glory for that, um, for sure. And yeah. And I agree with you, Brandon, that a guest preacher doesn't have the same level of authority as an elder, but it can cause deep confusion in the congregants if the speaker comes in and is not um, deferring to the elders' leadership and if the elders aren't in agreement with that person coming and their message. And so it does matter. It, 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 it really is an important issue. Um, so, all right. Uh, I think I'm going to play this last little bit from Pastor Mike. Sorry, this is so long. Most people have hopped off by now. They've had enough of this. So, all right, I'm going to play a little bit more and then sign off here. You're not in a church. You're not proclaiming things with, as a book. You're not proclaiming with the backing of a church in, a, in an official position, representing. You're not doing something at the church gathering on Sunday mornings. You're just touching the topics of theology, which you're encouraged to study in scripture. So I think that it's fine. A, a writer doing theology and a man reads it and he learns and grows from it is a positive thing. I've learned and grown from female commentators. Um, one of the uh, most challenging studies I did in the gospel of Mark, one of the most, it was, wasn't the most by a long shot really, but it was in, it was in the top 10 <laughs> of the hard studies I did in the gospel of Mark. And it was a study about the name it and claim it stuff um, that we see from, um, what's his name? Kenneth Copeland and those guys. And does that you know, how fairly are they interpreting the words of Jesus about asking what you want in his name? It was a woman theologian who wrote about these issues in the gospel of Mark that I thought had the best handling of the subject. And I shared it and even held up her book and said, here, she wrote this book and shared it with others that they could check it out on their own if they wanted. I don't think this is like her becoming your elder. Uh, let me put it this way. When you read a book, are they becoming like an elder to you? Probably not, right? Like if that happens to you, maybe you shouldn't read too many books because you, maybe you're you're a little too easily, just being honest with you, you're a little too easily influenced by others and not processing stuff fully on your own. So you got to maybe have less sources that are really, really trustworthy just for your own sake. Like that's just wisdom. But why would we limit the authors? We should limit the readers in that case. Say, hey, maybe you, you have a problem reading this book. Fine. Um, others don't. I don't want to make a rule. 
Writing as Christians, helping other Christians, not a problem. Just don't write in a way that mimics the elder role. Uh, what about a woman writing a podcast or YouTube channel? I have friends uh, and women I know who I, I, I love their ministries, their online ministries. And uh, you might say I'm biased, but hey, I'm not making, I'm not asking you to make a decision based on uh, that I love their ministries. Uh, I'm asking you to make a decision based upon what I'm about to tell you. So a woman running a podcast or YouTube channel and they teach theology and they talk about theology and they address issues that are related to Christianity specifically. I think that if it's directed towards women, how could anyone argue against that? Right. That, that, that is no brainer, right? I'm, you will ask if it could be directed to men in a second, but let's say it's directed towards women. Obviously nobody could argue against that. You have a ministry that's, that, that's, that's focused on ministering to women and teaching them theology and that kind of thing. Um, I don't see that as being inherently any kind of problem. I will say this, just don't turn it into a little kingdom that is in competition with the local church. This is not an issue with that ministry existing. It's an issue that happens frequently in parachurch ministries or in secondary ministries within a church where there's like a gathering here and this person gets a big ego and they start sort of getting more and more commanding of people and, and, and they get their head gets big and they start building a little kingdom within the church or a kingdom within their podcast or a kingdom where they're like, ah, I'm the one you got to listen to everything I say and do everything I say. They effectively become like a elder in that ministry, even though that ministry is not like it's a YouTube channel. In this case, it's just a YouTube channel where you're teaching specifically towards women. Just don't turn it into like a, a role that's meant to challenge or usurp another position in the church that is, that is there and specifically for men. Okay. So those are the relevant clips from Pastor Mike Winger. And, and by and large, I think he, I, I'm right in lockstep with him. And, but it, it takes a, a fair amount of intentionality on my part in, encouraging people, redirecting people toward their local church, their pastor, their elders. And this is why, and this is what I touched on last fall in my series on elders, is that it's important that we have godly men. Godly men matter. And we need godly men. We need godly leadership. And and so that uh, women can be safe and, and have good leadership. But we also need godly women and I think that theological education can definitely be a component of that. And that's why I do what I do. And if some men want to watch my content too, that's great. I just put it out there and and trust the Lord for whoever's going to consume it. But I do not um, ever see myself as any kind of local church leader um, I don't want people to see me that way. I'm not a pastor. I shouldn't be your pastor. I shouldn't be um, in any um, position, even mentally, of having that authority. That should be something that you are in dialogue with with your husband and um, the elders at your local church. And if you don't have those kind of elders, then that's a different kind of conversation. Go back and listen to my teaching series on elders from last fall. I cover all of those things. All right. Godly men matter t-shirt idea. I, I like that. They do. And I regularly pray that the Lord will bring down wicked leadership and replace them with godly, um, godly men. And it, it, it really does matter. And that's not to say we don't need godly women too. Um, but I think that as men go, households go, and as households go, churches go, and communities go, and nations go, 
And so I, I think that godly men are vitally important. And um, I, I feel like there's a lot of conversations these days of of women saying, yeah, well, we're important too. And nobody's saying you're not important. I'm a woman. But I do know that when there isn't strong male leadership, there is a tendency for there to be um, emotional scarcity and difficulty. And um, so I, I really actively pray for godly men. So Anyways, I hope you found this little meandering <laughs> romp through um, my my life in seminary and why I do what I do. And I know that I will be too liberal for some and and um, too conservative for others, but that's okay. Um, I do thank you for watching. And uh, if you found this helpful and encouraging, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an, an email. I would love to, to know what you found helpful or what you learned or what further questions you have. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.